Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to the inaugural episode, episode number one of the Colon Cancer Podcast. We are coming to you from Tampa, Florida. The whole purpose of this podcast is to share, as the tagline said earlier, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. And the way I intend to do that is to interview survivors or caregivers of survivors who can share their inspirational story. Because if you've been involved with colon cancer, and if you've been at all active on our Facebook group, Facebook page, the Colon Cancer Alliance website, uh, you probably have seen that everybody's story is truly, truly different. And uh, it, it, it helps all of us to hear everybody's story. So that's what I intend to do. And someone once said, do as I do as I say, not as I do, I guess. So it makes sense that if we're going to do this together, that I should start by sharing my story first. So this episode one will be my personal story. And from there, we will be interviewing guests, as I said, and letting them share their story. So I guess if I were to put a title on my story, it would read something like how cancer has been a part of my life for all of my life. And I'll explain. When I was a child, uh, I was constantly getting throat infections and the pediatrician recommended having my tonsils removed. So the day before my scheduled surgery, my parents took me to the hospital for the typical pre-op testing. And something came back in the pre-op testing that was very alarming. I believe it was a highly elevated red blood cell count. So they put the tonsillectomy on hold to further investigate what the problem was. And what they discovered was that I had a rare but highly curable form of pediatric kidney cancer known as Wilms tumor. And I tell people kind of half-jokingly. So my tonsils stayed and my kidney went, which is true. Uh, I had a left nephrectomy. My left kidney was removed and followed by several months of radiation and a short course of chemotherapy. And because this was caught really accidentally with no symptoms and was caught early, I was able to go on and live a very normal life. The cure rate for Wilms tumor when caught early is very high. And the other thing that's important to know too is that there have been a number of studies done and there is no correlation between Wilms tumor and future cancer occurrences in adults. No correlation whatsoever. But as I grew to be an adult and got a grasp first off of what the experience must have been like for my parents having a child with cancer. And that really hit home with me once I had children of my own. But besides that, as I got to be a little older, I just felt, even though there was nothing to base it on, but I just felt that I had not had my last bout with cancer as a part of my life. So fast forward just a few years, 
And it was my 50th birthday, and my doctor was so generous and gave me a birthday present. He scribbled something on a prescription pad and handed it to me and kind of chuckled and said, have a good time. And on it was a prescription for my first routine, quote-unquote, colonoscopy. And I was not having any symptoms. It was just something that uh, my doctor felt needed to be done at the age of 50, as is often recommended. The only symptom I recall was a little bit of a, I guess the best way I could describe it is like a gurgling sensation under my left rib cage, but nothing that caused any alarm, no other symptoms whatsoever, no pain, no discomfort. And uh, I went for the colonoscopy, and when I, re- I remember distinctly when I woke up, came, came to from the uh, anesthesia that they gave me, uh, the doctor had a bit of a look of concern on his face, and all he said was, I wasn't able to get as far into your colon as I would have liked, but we'll see what the results turn out to be. I'm, I'm not quite sure. And I didn't think really much of it. I wasn't concerned. I wasn't nervous until the day the phone rang. And I remember that day distinctly. I was sitting in my wife, Linda's house. We'd been dating for about four months at that point. And the phone rang. And you know the old adage that if it's the nurse, it's good news. If it's the doctor on the line, it's not such good news. And the doctor called, and he was very matter-of-fact and said, we got the results back, and it came back positive. There's a tumor in your colon, and do you know a surgeon? It's the first thing he asked me. And I responded in kind, very matter-of-factly. As a matter of fact, I do, and it was like a normal conversation between two people. And I, as I think back, it goes back to what I just said a little earlier, that I wasn't surprised. Now, don't misunderstand. I haven't walked around my whole adult life down on the dumps waiting for cancer to come. That's not what I meant when I made that comment that I felt like I'd be facing cancer again. But just in the back of my mind, I just felt like this could happen. But it didn't affect me. I'm a very upbeat, positive, glasses full kind of guy. But when he delivered that news... I did not fall to pieces. I did not cry. But when I turned to Linda and told her the results, of course she did. It wasn't until a couple days later when I realized some of the next steps that needed to take place, most importantly was sharing the news with my family, that it did shake me up. And the hardest part was having to share the news that I had cancer with the people I love and sharing the news and having to tell my parents that I had cancer again. And I, I could just envision that their, how they were going to react, kind of a, oh, here we go again kind of thing. Because being a parent myself and thinking back what it must have been like for my parents when I had the Wilms tumor at five years old, I, I just couldn't imagine having two boys of my own that are now grown in their mid and late 20s, what that would have been like to have a young child and have a doctor tell you your child has cancer. So now I have to turn around and tell my parents, guess what, I've got cancer again. And then having to tell my children. And that was really, really hard. And 
but my outlook was very positive and that's the way I delivered the news. Uh, what was tough was I have two, two boys. My oldest, Andrew, lives here in town, so I went and visited him and said, hey, can I come by? And which was not unusual. I'd pop by and see him quite often and deliver the news. But the hard part was my youngest son, Elliot, uh, was away in college and not close enough for me to be able to just jump in the car and, and share the news with him. So I had to do it by phone, and that was really tough. But again, I was not all that concerned. I felt like, all right, going to have surgery. I'll be done, get through this really wasn't worried about what they would find, that I would have to have chemo. I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. So I had the colon resection surgery done, and the surgeon was able to remove 30 lymph nodes, which from what I'm told is a really good number, and got the results back from those, and they were all clear. So there was no lymph node involvement, so they diagnosed me as stage 2. And I talked to my surgeon and a couple of oncologists, including my current oncologist, Dr. Jonathan Strasberg at the Moffitt Cancer Center. And the consensus was that chemotherapy would not be necessary. So that was music to my ears. You didn't have to tell me that twice. And life went on. And I fell head over heels in love with Linda. We'd been dating, like I said earlier, a few months. And a few months after my surgery, I went for my first CT scan at Moffitt Cancer Center here in Tampa. And right after, I want to say maybe a few days after, Linda and I went on vacation to New York City. And I was standing, I still remember it, I was standing in the middle of Macy's Herald Square. So if you've ever seen the Macy's Day, Thanksgiving Day Parade, in front of that Macy's, I was inside Macy's, my phone rings, and again, same story. If it's the nurse, it's good news. If it's the doctor, it's bad news. Lee, it's Dr. Strasberg, I hear on the other end, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. And he told me that they found a very small spot on my liver with the CT scan, and that when I returned to Tampa, they wanted to do a PET scan. So that shook me up. And I did my best to kind of put it out of my mind. I really wanted to enjoy our vacation and show Linda that I was not all that concerned. But it did it did hit me because I thought I was quickly able to put this behind me and now I wasn't so sure. So when we got back, they did the PET scan and the PET scan came back negative. So the doctor said, great, must be, and I don't remember the term that he used, but he described this questionable spot as something that was benign, and they just would keep an eye on it. And this was in the fall, early fall of 2011. A few months later, on New Year's Eve of that year, I proposed to Linda and asked her to marry me. And my life was in a skyrocketing, happy trajectory. Life was really good. I'd pretty much forgotten about cancer and my regular three-month checkups at the Moffitt Cancer Center just became something that I checked off my to-do list every 90 days. And on December 1st of 2012, Linda and I were married and we went to Jamaica on our honeymoon. And when we returned, about three or four days after we returned from our honeymoon, it was time for my next 
three-month checkup at Moffitt and another CT scan. And this time the doctor said he was a little concerned about that spot they'd been watching on my liver. He told me it looked like it had been growing slightly and it was probably a good idea to do a biopsy. So he scheduled the biopsy for a few days before Christmas. And on New Year's Eve, 30 days after we were married, Linda and I were out shopping for a bottle of champagne. We had reservations at a very nice steak restaurant for that evening to celebrate our first New Year's Eve as husband and wife. And at four o'clock that afternoon, the phone rang. And again, it was Dr. Strasberg. And like I said, when the doctor calls, it's not good news. And I still remember the first words out of his mouth. I'm sorry to call you on New Year's Eve with this news. So we went and talked to the oncologist and he said this time the treatment plan would call for a liver resection followed by six months of chemotherapy. And I immediately thought back to when I was a child and though I did not have my Wilms tumor surgery, my kidney removal surgery at Sloan Kettering in New York, all of my follow-up from that surgery was done in New York because we moved to the New York area shortly after that surgery took place. So I told Dr. Strasberg I wanted to have a second opinion, that I'd be more than willing to fly to Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York City for a second opinion. So he made the arrangements to get us the appointment, and the second week of January 2013, Linda and I flew up to New York, and Linda got to see her first snow, so like in everything, I try to find the silver lining. In this case, it was a lining of snowflakes. And we met with the oncologist, Dr. Diane Reedy, and the liver surgeon, Dr. Peter Allen. And I will tell you, we felt so much better after meeting with them. When they talk about meeting with a team of doctors, this is no exaggeration. I want to say there was probably 10 people that paraded into the exam room to meet with us from interns and residents and nurses, there was the team. And what they said to us was, we concur with what Dr. Strasberg at Moffitt says, but what you need to know is you're young and you're healthy. Obviously, you exercise a lot and you're in good shape. And we honestly believe that get through the surgery, complete the six-month, 12 treatments of full FOX chemotherapy, that more than likely the cancer would not return and you can live a happy and healthy life. And that really made us feel a whole lot better. And they said, so, you know, get back to Florida and let us know when you'd like to schedule the surgery. And I wasn't going to wait. I said, nope. I said, we're making that appointment right now. So we booked the appointment for two weeks down the road and we'd fly back to New York. And I was fortunate because I'm from the area. I have friends and a lot of family, so we had a big support system there. They said I would be in the hospital for close to a week, and then once discharged, would need to stay in the area for another week to 10 days to recuperate. And my sister lives just 45 minutes away from Manhattan, so I was able to spend that time recuperating at her home. And that was the beginning of the next part of my journey. And once I recovered from the surgery, it was time to schedule the chemotherapy. Uh, Dr. Strasberg selected a date for me to start, 
in February, and I looked at the calendar, and I realized there was a conflict. Because during our honeymoon, I had purchased tickets for my first country music concert. Kenny Chesney, Eric Church, at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. And this, and I, I share that with you because it was the way I was going to approach this new challenge that was presented to me, is that I was going to live my life and I was going to approach it positively. So I asked the doctor, and I didn't say why. I said, well, can we start it the week after? He said, sure, if you want to do that, that's no problem. And the reason why I wanted to start it a week later, because I was concerned that I would be suffering the effects of chemotherapy and wouldn't be able to enjoy, enjoy this concert with Linda. And that was important to me, and that you know, I wasn't going to let this disease interfere with how I wanted to live my life. I continued to exercise as much as I could. I exercised pretty much every single week, and that was a big part of my approach to how I was going to handle this as well. The most important decision that I made was I was going to feel good by making other people feel good. So when I showed up for my first treatment at the infusion center at Moffitt Kansas Center, I made a point of learning every nurse's name, smiling, joking, laughing, and trying to make everybody around me feel good because I knew that would make me feel good. And as I said earlier, exercise was a big part of this. And for those of you listening to this podcast, who may have been recently diagnosed, uh, I want you to know that exercise was a big, big part of how I psychologically got through the chemotherapy treatment. It might be difficult to explain, but I just felt that when I was perspiring and breathing heavily as I was exercising, and then when I say exercising, most of what I did was a treadmill, a power walk on a treadmill at a decent incline, if you will. And perspiring and breathing heavy just made me feel like I wasn't sick. I can't have cancer if I'm sweating and, and breathing heavy and wiping myself off with a towel. That's not what people with cancer do. So if you have the ability to do that, and I mentioned earlier, Everybody is different, and I totally understand and respect that everybody is different. So a lot of what you'll hear me talk about that worked for me, that I did, how I reacted, may indeed not be how you can handle this or how you reacted. Everybody is different. But if you're able to, I highly encourage exercises one way, especially emotionally, to help you get through this. The other thing that's important to understand is when I met with Dr. Reedy, the oncologist in Sloan, at Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York, she talked about the timing of the treatment. And I didn't quite understand what she meant until she kind of explained it further. And she said, probably the best day for you to get treatment is Wednesday, and I'll explain why. When you get your Folfox treatment, we also give you some pre-medication that wards off, at least for a little while, the effects of the chemotherapy. And it usually wards it off for about 48 hours. So if you look at the calendar and you're getting treatment on Wednesday, that means by sometime Friday, 
that's going to wear off and you're going to start to not feel so great. But what that will do is it'll allow you to have the weekend to be the time that you don't feel great so that you're able to work if indeed you feel like you're able to. And I will tell you that was wonderful advice for me because it worked just like she said. I would leave my treatment on Wednesday with my 5-FU pump attached to my waist. I choose not to use the pouch they gave me. I got a, my sister called called it a Merce, a man purse that I wore around my waist. And Friday afternoon, the pump would empty and I'd go to have it disconnected. And shortly thereafter, I'd start to feel not so great. But by then, it was time for me to get off work. And each treatment, all 12 treatments, that was what happened. Late Wednesday, I'd start to not feel great. Saturday, I'd be down for the count, spend most of the day Saturday sleeping. And by about mid-Sunday afternoon, I would start to bounce back. And I want to take a second to talk about side effects. And it was a frustration of mine. I knew there was going to be side effects. And I see this. A lot of people ask questions or post comments on the Colon Cancer Alliance Facebook page talking about or inquiring about different side effects. And there's many side effects. Again, everybody is different. But there's so many side effects that the doctors just kind of forget to tell you about. So I want to kind of go through them and talk about my personal experience with side effects and how I handled them. And I just keep emphasizing that again and again, that everybody is different. So this is just my personal experience. I will tell you, I never once had nausea and I never once vomited throughout my treatment. The best way I could describe the two most prevalent side effects that I had, number one was fatigue, obviously, and number two was just this queasy feeling in my stomach. I never, like I said, I never felt nauseous. I just felt, the best way I could describe it is blah. Didn't feel like really eating much. Uh, and there were two things that helped me get through that queasy feeling. Uh, one, believe it or not, was Pepto-Bismol. So those days I really felt queasy. A little Pepto-Bismol helped a little bit. And the second, I can neither confirm nor deny that there may have been some possible use of marijuana there, but because that is not legal in the state of Florida, I can neither confirm or deny that that may have been part of the treatment that helped me get through. And we will leave that at that. The prescriptions that the doctor provided me, I felt that the side effects were worse than the actual side effects of the of the chemo. Uh, and I don't even remember the different prescriptions that I had tried. But each one, each pill that I did try to take away that queasy sensation left me so zonked out, so tired, so sleepy, that I tried them once or twice and, and never used them again. So I just got by with the two things I mentioned earlier. So that's, those are the two most common side effects. Third one I would add that affects everybody if you're on Folfox is this, the major side effect of being on oxyplatin, and that is neuropathy in your hands, in your feet, and most importantly, in your mouth. Immediately after taking chemotherapy and the oxyplatin, you have an extreme sensitivity to cold particularly in your hands, your feet, and your mouth. And again, everybody is differently. Some people have it stronger in their feet. 
to the point that they have trouble walking because their feet get numb. Some people have it stronger in their hands. Mine definitely was stronger in my hands and everybody gets it in their mouth. So you really cannot drink or eat anything cold one when you've taken the oxyplatin as part of the full fox treatment. And I would find that the cold sensitivity would wear off pretty much at the same time that the fatigue would wear off. So immediately after taking the treatment, uh, I would need to keep a potholder or a towel near the refrigerator. And any time I took something out of the refrigerator, I couldn't drink anything cold. But by about Sunday afternoon, that sensitivity would dissipate and I was able to consume cold food and drink and even even touch cold things. The other component of neuropathy is numbness. That kind of progressed as further along I got in the treatment. And I'll talk a little bit more about neuropathy in a second. Other side effects that the doctor tend to forget to tell you about. You can occasionally get some mouth sores, or I didn't get mouth sores, but I just got this nasty like film in my mouth. And there was a rinse, the name escapes me at the moment, but there was a rinse that the nurses at the infusion center gave me a bottle of, a sample of, and it left a different, a better tasting film in, your, in my mouth and made that easier to deal with. So there is a mouth rinse available if you have any kind of oral discomfort. When you're on full fox chemotherapy, you're very susceptible to nosebleeds. Again, something doctors kind of forget to tell you about. Uh, the medication is part of the chemotherapy really dries out your mucous membranes and you're very susceptible to nosebleeds. What worked for me was I used a saline spray and a saline rinse to kind of keep my nasal passages moisturized while I was going through treatment. And I just kept that in the shower, came with these saline packets, and you'd warm up some distilled water, mix it with a saline solution, and squirt this stuff in your sinuses, and it really, really helped. What other symptoms can I think of? Oh, your fingernails and your toenails tend to get brittle during the full fox treatment. So keep an eye on those. Uh, someone posted a question on the Colon Cancer Alliance Facebook page recently about going to get a manicure. And one of the big cautions, something you've got to be very careful about when you're on chemo, is that your chemo drives down your white blood cell count, leaving you very susceptible to infections. So knowing that there's always a possibility, I'm talking particularly to female patients, of getting, I guess, you can, you can possibly get a little nicked when you're getting your nails done, and that can leave you prone to infection. So it, you are highly discouraged from getting a manicure when you are going through chemo. Take care of those things on your own. Try to stay away from people that are sick. If you feel like you're getting a cold or coming down with something, let your doctor know immediately because you are at great risk of infection because of the chemo's effect on your white blood cell count. So those are just my personal summary of side effects. So I got through the 12 treatments. Uh, exercise was a big part of it, as I said. 
Uh, I didn't talk about food and eating and diet. Uh, what I found was when I was queasy, the only thing that I felt like eating was comfort food. It seemed like for whatever reason, my go-to food when I felt my wor- felt at my worst was mac and cheese. And that's what I liked. But it is important, even if you don't feel like eating, that you do need to keep your calorie count up. You should drink. You should eat. You will find that the chemo greatly alters your taste buds, really alters your taste buds. Some people describe it as kind of a metallic taste, and you will find that things you used to enjoy don't taste so good anymore, and things that are a little more bland uh, work better for you. And it's all personal taste, so you just got to do it by trial and error, but it is important that you do eat, that you do drink. I'm a big water drinker, and water really brought out that metallic taste. So I started to drink my water with fresh squeezed lemon in it. That seemed to help me keep my fluids up and make the water more palatable. Other things that I did was I had a big dry erase board in my office because I did work throughout my treatment. I didn't miss a day of work. If I had treatment in the morning, I'd come back to the office once I was done, or if the treatment was scheduled for later in the day, I'd go into the office before treatment. But I had a big dry erase board, and it started off with the number 12 on it. And I did it as a countdown. And I celebrated little milestones. So when I had completed just three treatments, instead of saying, my goodness, I still have nine more treatments to go, I celebrated the fact that I had completed 25% of my treatments. 25% was already behind me, and that's the way I looked at it. That worked for me. So we got through, and I completed my chemotherapy in August of 2013. And then there were new issues to deal with, things that I didn't expect. Number one, if you were on oxyplatin as part of your treatment, as part of Folfox, the neuropathy, particularly the numbness in the fingertips, drastically increased once I finish treatment, which sounds strange, but that is very common and that happens. And it was so difficult for me, though I've heard many people had it even worse than I did, that I really had a hard time buttoning my shirt for work. And I would have to have my wife help me do small buttons because I just did not have that sensation. Many people have had success dealing with this post-chemotherapy neuropathy by getting acupuncture treatments. And I did try that. Unfortunately, it didn't work for me. What worked for me was time. I noticed about five or six months after I completed treatment that that manual, that the, I don't know what the right word is for it, the small motor function, being able to do little things with your fingers, started to come back. And while to this day, a uh, year and a half after I've completed chemo, I still have a little bit of a numbness sensation in the tips of my fingers. I can button my shirt with my eyes closed now. It just kind of came back over time. Some people it comes back sooner. Some people it takes longer. Some people, unfortunately, it doesn't come back. Everybody's different. But I do recommend trying acupuncture, even though it didn't work for me. I have heard that many people have had great success with that. So we completed treatment in August of 2013, and I was celebrating the fact that I was NED, no evidence of disease. 
And we fast forward to last spring 2014, and I keep thinking I'm going to get this thing behind me. And the doctor says, you know, I see two really small nodules in your lungs. They're probably nothing, is what he said. And again, I approach this like I've been approaching it all along. It's like, if you're not worried, I'm not worried. So we watched this thing for a good nine months. And right before Thanksgiving of last year, he suggested consulting with the lung specialist of Moffitt Cancer Center. And they looked over, looked over my records, reviewed my CT scans, and said, you know, these things, there's one in each lung. They're too small to biopsy. There's no way to biopsy. But we think at this point that more than likely that they're malignant. And just like your previous tumors, they're very slow growing. We feel that we can treat these pretty simply. I was scheduled right after New Year's, the first week of January, for SBRT treatment, stereotactic body radiation therapy. Perhaps you've seen TV commercials for what's known as CyberKnife, which is just one of the many brand names for this type of treatment. And I, I met with the lung specialist, and he reviewed the treatment plan, and he said it's a five-consecutive-day treatment. You'll be in and out of here all five days in an hour, hour and a half tops, and more than likely you won't notice anything. There won't be any side effects. There are some slight risks involved, nothing major. And my biggest concern was I was trading for the Tampa Undy Run coming up in February of this year, which took place just last week. And I was going to be crossing that finish line of that 5K with the best time of my life. That was my goal. And I didn't want anything to get in the way of that. So my first question to him was, how's this going to impact my ability to do cardiovascular exercise? He said there shouldn't be any impact at all. So I went five mornings in a row, and as promised, I was in and out in about an hour, hour and 15 minutes with no side effects. My I went Monday through Friday. Saturday morning, I got up and went and ran 3.2 miles and felt fine. And I'm scheduled for a CT scan in April to see how the results of those scans. And that's my story. Uh, I've just... I'm thankful that uh, I've been able to share this with you. I've spoken to so many people. I'm a buddy with Colon Cancer Alliance, and I continue to run into people, and I realize, and I've never lose sight of the fact that there's always somebody out there that wished they had the diagnosis that I have. And I, I will never lose sight of the fact that there's always people out there that are struggling. And I'm hoping that this podcast will be a source of both inspiration and information for those of you that are battling this disease or caring for someone that's battling this disease. And I invite you to tune in to our next episode where we will be interviewing the first of what I hope will be many terrific survivors that have great survivor stories to share. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from today's episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. 
You can subscribe to our podcast by searching for the Colon Cancer Podcast on iTunes and clicking the subscribe button or by using the podcast app on your iPhone and clicking the subscribe button. Our show can also be found on Stitcher Radio for those of you using an Android device. If you or a loved one has any questions at all about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance's website at myccasupport.org. Again, that's myccasupport.org. Thank you again for listening. Be well, everyone.